Hey guys, welcome. This is a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. I am a church anthropologist, activist, carpenter, and, and contemplative. I said those backwards, but contemplative and carpenter, whatever. Um, we're in the middle of a series called Wounded, and this is episode 10, and episode 10 is the soul. And remember, we're talking about uh, what is our core wound in light of God's remedy through Jesus. And uh, we've been discussing the three centers of knowing, and now we're getting ready to discuss the three centers of being. So I think it's uh, been very enlightening so far. I've been, I've learned a lot. I've enjoyed the conversation, and we're going to continue to explore our six parts. Remember, we're a person with six parts, and then there's a seventh part, which is God, that completes us, right? Six is completed by the one, the one God, the one true God. That makes seven. God rested on the seventh day. Seven is the number of completion, right? Isn't that cool? And we are trying to enter into God's rest. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about you know, in, in the discussion of our wound and how God heals it and how God's presence comes in. And it's through reunification that we are restored to our relationship with God. Um, you know, how that brings us into rest and how these parts can come into that place of rest, that place of shalom. That's what we're talking about, how God heals our woundedness, our separation through his presence, which brings peace. <laughs> Jesus, it was declared upon Jesus' birth that peace and goodwill would come to all mankind. Isn't that great? All right, guys. Thank you for paying attention so far. And let's go ahead and get into the episode. All right. So we're, today we're talking about the soul. And we're talking about the soul as one of the three centers of being. And there's a lot I want to talk about. Like, first, I'm going to introduce the three centers of being. But I also want to talk about the difference between the centers of being and the centers of knowing and why we should be grounded in our centers of being, one in particular over the others as well, but not in our centers of knowing, but how we usually ground ourselves in our centers of knowing and in particular the mind. I've already talked about how the mind so dominates these three centers of knowing and also it can overshadow our three centers of being. Right? I mean, I think it makes sense to say, hey, you should be grounded in your being, not your knowing, feeling, or doing. And remember I said, like a lot of, I hear a lot of Christians say, you can't trust your feelings. Well, you know what? There's actually a bit of truth to that. I wouldn't say we can't trust our feelings, of course. I actually said the opposite. But I would say we shouldn't ground ourselves in our feelings, nor our thoughts, nor our physical body and its experiences, right? Like all this stuff, as I've talked about, all this stuff is very fickle. Like I've talked about some pretty extreme experiences that I've had in all these three centers of knowing, right? If I was grounded in those, man, my my groundedness would be so unstable. And I think this is why we are so unstable. Remember, we're talking about our core wound, how God heals it. And one of the big things one of the big ways God does heal it is to draw us back into our being centers as the center of who we are. And in particular, our spirit center, which is, is at the top. Speaking of at the top, I do have a diagram for these. I couldn't figure out how to put, include it as a part of the podcast. 
graphics, but I am going to put it as a blog post on my website. My website is www.moderncontemplative.com. So if you go there, the most recent blog post should be the diagram of these six centers. And then also I'll do some explanation of each of the six, okay? So that should help. I just think it's good. I'm a, a visual person, so I think it might be helpful for people to see a diagram. But in the diagram, you'll notice the spirit is at the top. Like It, it creates a cross, a um, symmetrical cross. Mind is at the center. Actually, soul is at the center too, which is interesting, right? So one of the things I also want to talk about is how the mind, we conflate the mind and the soul. And actually, I already said this, but when the mind is too dominant, it shrinks the soul. And in the diagram, you notice there's, it's kind of hard to see, but the soul circles are, there's like, it's like a target kind of, they're, they're kind of a, in the diagram, the circles are kind of faded, but the soul can shrink to a tiny point at the center of our personhood, our being centers, or it can expand big, 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 bigger out to the rim of where it touches God. So practically speaking, the soul is to the being centers what the mind is to the knowing centers. It's the center, it's the more conscious part of these three centers. And as I already talked about in episode, I think it was six on the parts, like we get this idea from Jewish thinking, from Jewish scriptures, that the soul was created when the, when the body and the spirit came together into, and man, you know, the Holy Spirit breathed the breath of life into this lump of clay and bam, soul was created in this, in this, as a third component in this exchange, in this creation um, ac- action, right? So, uh, but you know what? I would say for the most part, our current Western culture is very much out of tune with our soul. And again, as I've said, it's because the mind is so dominant. And I don't think we really even understand the difference between soul as the, the consciousness of our soul as a part of our being centers and the consciousness of our mind as a part of our knowing centers because mostly we operate out of our mind. So I think it's going to be important in this discussion about soul to distinguish it from the mind because I want you to be able to be able to distinguish it from the mind in yourself. So even though the soul is the more conscious part of the three being centers, it works differently than the mind, which is the conscious or central part of the three knowing centers. And so I want to try to distinguish that for you as well. There's a lot of stuff, right? Man, um, did you know that the word soul, it appears more in the Old Testament than the New? Let's see. It actually appears 754 times in the Old Testament and just a little over 100 in the New Testament. Of course, the Old Testament has a lot more books like it's longer, right? But I think there's definitely an imbalance. And I think that's, I think there's a reason. Like this idea of the soul, it's kind of an old idea. It's more of an ancient idea. I mean, every culture, especially Western, really has an idea of the soul as this more ethereal part until you get to modern culture. And modern culture conflates it with the mind. I mean, it's not like we'll go through the different words and different languages that have meant soul and how it's changed its meaning. But like, first, I just wanted to sit for a minute in this, in the Bible itself, like 754 times in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament Hebrew word for soul was nephesh. It literally meant living being. And did you know also that in Judaism, there was no concept of 
the immaterial self as separate from the physical self. Like they didn't have this idea that, that as I'm talking about these parts, they didn't have this idea of the, the, us being kind of so separated. They didn't see the human person as so fleshly. Like the, I think they really had a more coherent picture of personhood that we truly were spirits and we had this fleshly component. But they didn't see them as so divided. And they didn't really let the more immaterial, spiritual, soul part be so dormant. I thought that was interesting. Because they do make a distinction between soul and spirit, right? We read that even in the New Testament. A dividing, you know, Hebrews. It says that the word is living and active, dividing even to soul and spirit. Bones and marrow. Um, that the, the, word for, the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. And we'll talk about that. And the next podcast on spirit as the one of the being centers. Like in the Greek, in the New Testament, the word suke is the word that's translated as soul. And as I said, it's only about a hundred, it's a little over a hundred times that that word is used in the New Testament. There's not as much emphasis on the soul in the New Testament as the Old. Not as much emphasis in the Old Testament on spirit either as there was soul. Interesting. Like the word suke or psyche can be translated as soul, spirit, ghost, or self. It was the essence. Now, that's very true. Most cultures, the word soul meant like the essence of the person, the heart of the person, the essence of their life, right? Um, Like in Greek philosophy, Plato believed that the psyche was immortal. In Latin, the word would have been anime. It could have been translated as a rational soul or the animating principle of the human, like the thing from which life came. In English, we have the word psychology, which comes from the word psyche or suke in, in the Greek. But what, what does that mean? When you hear the word psychology or psyche, what do you think? You think mind, right? And so really, we have this word that's meant even in the Greek language. Greek, the Greek culture is almost 3,000 years old. Right? We have this idea of soul, this immaterial part of ourselves, this immortal part, uh, this, the essence of us, like in the word, the Greek word, psyche. But then by the time we get to modern, modern culture, modern Western culture, it's, it's been conflated with the mind, right? When you go to a psychologist, what's he going to deal with your mind? We think psychology deals with the rational center. Remember the rational center? is one of our three knowing centers. It's the dominant, and it's become, uh, it's become way too much the focus of our personhood in modern Western culture. And so it's no surprise that the word that has traditionally meant soul and, and has represented soul for most of the history of Western culture now represents mind, our rational center. Right? If you go to a psychiatrist, they're not going to talk to you about your soul or your spirit. They're going to talk to you about your thinking and your thoughts, and they're going to try to address problems in your thinking. Because that's where we've come to. It's just more evidence that the mind is way too dominant. And we've forgotten about our more ethereal parts, our soul, spirit, and the flesh. Right? It's interesting. And here I think it's also represented in the old between the Old and New Testaments, that there's a lot more focus in the Old Testament on soul than there is in the New Testament. All right, so as I said, the soul is to the being centers as the mind is to the knowing centers. The soul is the more conscious part. And it's interesting, you really have in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, you have people talking to their souls. So let's, let's jump over 
um, real quick to Psalm 146. This is a, a, a mascal of the sons of Korah, Psalm 42. Did I, did I say 46? <laughs> 42. You'll recognize this psalm. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, my, the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. People say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For yet will I praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go on mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where's your God? Verse 11, why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. My Savior and my God. It's like soul is all over this psalm, right? First, he's talking about his soul, how his soul yearns for God. I think that's important. The Jews had this understanding that what part of us is it that can connect with God? It's not our knowing centers, right? And I've talked about how God wants to redeem those, but also talked about how there's this, that, that even God must come through the spirit through the heart more so into the knowing centers from the being centers there's a reason soul here in psalm 42 and in jewish thinking was the part that longed for god because it's the part that can connect to god through the spirit and we'll talk more about the spirit next podcast but remember the soul is the more conscious part of our being centers and so in the soul we can better register God and God presence. It's no wonder even in Christianity and modern Christianity we've lost a really practical sense of being able to connect with God because we can't connect with our souls. Here in Psalm 42 we see very sensibly, very clearly, it's the soul that you know they're really saying, hey, it's the soul that knows how to that longs for God, knows how to connect to God. No wonder we don't know how to connect to God because we've forgotten all about our soul. Well, how, I mean, so I've said the soul is to the three being centers as the mind is to the three knowing centers. It's the conscious part, the more conscious part of those three. But how is it different than the mind? <clears throat> In operation. I've already said the mind really, the mind too separated from God. The degenerate mind is its own God. I, I talked about how that's what Satan, Satan's primary goal is to draw us into our minds our rational center. It's our, it's our most abstract, but our most, it's the most under our control, right? In our mind, we can, our mind is the main place we can conceive of ourselves as being in control and being our own gods, right? Well, the soul is different because the soul understands, it's better understands its connection to God. And so, like both of these are more of the conscious parts of us, but the soul is more conscious of God with us. 
the mind really I don't we cannot get to God through our minds that's a big problem if we're trying to reach God through our own thinking we won't and it's no wonder modern Christianity has lost much of its mysticism much of its ability to really practically participate with God because the mind isn't able to do that. Scripture, in Romans chapter 8, I've already said this, but it says the mind set on the flesh doesn't even know how to please God. It's, it, doesn't, it, it can't connect with God. It's death. Like the mind that is so focused on the flesh. Again, we'll talk about the flesh too as one of the being centers. But it's so focused on itself apart from God. It's so focused on its own wants, its own will, its own ways. Remember the, the core... Um, the core obstacle is the will. It, the mind is so consumed with its own will. It can't connect to God. It doesn't know how. It, practically speaking, we cannot think our way to God. Remember, the mind has to be quiet for God's voice to begin to come in. Well, it comes through the soul, not through the mind. It comes into the mind through the soul, from the spirit to the soul, from the Holy Spirit to our spirit. <laughs> That's the way it works. But it's the soul part of ourselves through which we really more often start to register God's thoughts and God's voice. And so the difference between the mind and the soul is primarily this. The soul, the soul mostly in conversation, in its conscious thought processes, is mostly conversing with God. And this is true. This is how this has been my experience as my prayer life has burgeoned and bloomed and flowered and flourished more and more of my thoughts are towards God, our God word, are in communion with God, in communication with God. So I talked about this already, how the mind needs to get quiet so God can speak into it. But it really, it's not so much the mind or it's from the soul to the mind, but it's the soul that is more attuned to, to commune with God through our conscious part, through that conscious part or through our conscious, you know, thinking process, you could say. Like, I mean... I just do this all the time. It's, it's, it's become quite ingrained. It's become a good, healthy rhythm for me to just talk with God through my day, throughout my day, to be, and to be listening. I think it's more the soul that listens for God, that is able to be attuned towards God. And then the soul can impart to the mind that God wisdom. But the mind has to be quieted so the soul can be more active. And through the soul, the spirit. So the soul functions, even though it's our conscious part of the three being centers, it, is, it functions more in conversing and communing with God. The mind's perfectly fine to be on its own, to think its own thoughts, to do its own things. It's very self-willed and it's, it's kind of stuck in that mode. It's taken a long time for me to get the mind quiet to begin to let my soul register, even. It's taken a lot of practices. It's taken a lot of quieting the mind. But as I've done that, the soul has come forward. I mean, listen to what... This is very interesting. When we get, by the time we get to verse 5, the person's not only the author, the sons of Korah, have not only talked about the soul as this part that longs for God and wants to be unified with God. But verse 5, then he starts to talk to his soul. Interesting. Why, my soul, are you downcast? He talks about it almost like it's a, it's a different thing. <laughs> it's like, 
He's talking to himself. But is he? No, of course not. He's talking to, he's really talking. He's trying to, like, he's, this person is depressed. It's, this is an interesting balance of, in this psalm of kind of positive and negative expressions, right? There's some depression, there's some discouragement. But he's also like, hey, but God's here. Well, this is the soul's function. The soul's function is to connect to God. And he's like, it's almost like the soul, the psalmist through this song is talking about how the soul is not quite functioning like it should. And he's like, okay, soul, look, look, like I need you to come out of your stupor. Like you're supposed to be helping me connect to God. Why aren't you doing this? Like in a sense, he's trying to kind of kickstart. He's trying to pray. He's trying to kickstart the soul's function to connect to God. It's like, hey, soul, let's get together and let's focus on God because I know you're the part that's supposed to do that. And you're not really doing it like I'm depressed. Why am I depressed? Probably because I'm too much in my mind. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm focused on the wrong things. And hey, it's the soul. I'm trying to like, the soul's become dormant and I need to revive it. Because that's the part that knows how to connect to God. You know, that can put his hope in God. That can put its praise and focus on God. Like the soul being downcast. We might think, oh, the soul's just sad. No, it's cast down. It's in darkness. Remember, I talked about the mind apart from God is in darkness. Well, the soul also apart from God, it gets cast into darkness. It's downcast. It's in darkness. It needs to be brought back up to its functioning. And in verse 8, it says, By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. He's like, he, he's really going back and forth between the proper functioning of the soul and the fact that the soul has been downcast, not in its, not in its proper place. But he's like, hey, look, verse 8 is very clear. He's talking about prayer. He's, his song is with me. Like, this guy, this psalmist knows how to hear God. He knows that it comes through his soul. That's what he's talking about. Isn't that so cool? You know? And he ends this whole psalm with, Why, my soul are, you, soul, are you downcast? Why are you disturbed? Hey, put your hope in God. Let's praise him. Let's commune with him. Let's worship him. He's our savior. This is a psalm about the soul coming, the soul that's been cast into darkness and the soul needing to come back up to its proper functioning. Its proper functioning is communion with God. The soul is designed, it's the part of ourselves that's designed for communion. Through the spirit, our spirit, Holy Spirit. But the soul is the, is the conscious part of us through which we commune with God. Isn't that cool? I think that's pretty clear in Psalm 42. I was, uh, I was just talking with my mom a couple of days ago, and she brought this verse to my mind. And I thought, or she mentioned this verse, reading this verse, and we were talking about it. But it's 1 Thessalonians verse 23. This just shows these three being centers. So I thought it was interesting. This is verse 23, 1 Thessalonians. Um, darn, I don't know the chapter. It's, I think it's, it's chapter 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. See? He points to all three of these being centers. Spirit, soul, and body, or what I call the flesh. And I call it flesh because I used to call it the body, but then there's two bodies and it's hard to distinguish. And the flesh is different than the body, the physical body. The physical body is part of it, but remember, one of our knowing centers is the body. And so our being center is the flesh. And I'll talk about, I'll flesh that out later. <laughs> I just wanted you to see that's even in scripture, very clearly in the New Testament. He makes a distinction between spirit, soul, and body. It's three, it's our three being centers. And I did say, 
I started to talk about this, but why we should be grounded in our being centers. Like, I think one of the most important things I would like to convey in this particular podcast on soul is why we should be grounded in our being centers and in being and not knowing, feeling, or doing, right? Remember Paul said in, um, I guess it was Corinthians, the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. I talked about the outward man being the, the fleshly vessel, but like there's the first hint that, look, don't vest yourself your identity, your worth in what is passing. Your mental capabilities, your emotional capabilities, and your physical capabilities will never be consistent, even day to day. Obviously, as you age, these all will in many ways falter, especially the body, certainly the mind. We know there's great increase of Alzheimer's and dementia. Obviously, physically, we know the body will start to Decline. I call this managing the decline. <laughs> I'm 48 now, so I know what that's about. I had my first um, colonoscopy a few days ago. <laughs> I think that, that emotionally it probably doesn't decline too much, but I don't know. Um, but look, all three of these centers, even, even a young person, a healthy person, generally healthy, your mental, emotional, and physical capabilities will be It'll be different. You'll feel tired. They can be impaired when you drink too much. You know what? It's just a very fickle way to ground yourself. And it's not, it's not permanent. Right? I mean, your mind and your heart are permanent in the sense that they'll always be with you. But our sense of thinking, our sense of feeling, our physical bodies, is very inconsistent. Right? When you wake up in the morning, you can feel drowsy. As you get towards the end of the day, you can lag. You can feel drained. This is not where we ground ourselves, our identity, our sense of personhood, our sense of well-being. Well-being should be grounded in our being, right? And it's like who you are remains the same no matter how you feel, no matter what you think, no matter your physical circumstances. I work construction and um, there was a job we had to do in Houston, Texas. At a high-rise, uh, it was like a 36-story high-rise apartment building. We had to be on a lift, right? And my, we had to be on a, a lift outside on the building. A, sw- a swing stage, rather. It's a lift. It's a swing stage, right? And you know what? I was a little freaked out approaching this job. I had never been on a swing stage. And my boss would tell us stories. He's done it many times. And he was like, oh, yeah. So he's like, you can get the toughest guys. Like these guys are macho construction guys. You get them up on a lift and they pee their pants and they want to go home. He's like, I've had guys like quit jobs before because they had to get on a swing stage and they thought they were so tough. And then they got up there and couldn't do it. Mentally, physically, emotionally, they could not handle it. Tough guys, construction guys, were used to hard physical labor, sweating in the sun, and get them on a swing stage, <laughs> and, right? Because they're limited, they're in this place. It's not like anything else. It's not, you know, physically, it's physically limiting. I mean, there's so many situations where we're physically limited, mentally limited, emotionally limited. This is not, this is not the thing or things on which we should base our identity. They change minute to minute. Emotionally, you may feel fine the next minute. You may not. Same is true intellectually and physically. You just can't 
should never be sure. And then like, okay, so, you know, practically speaking, and I, you know, you just see people do this, right? People try to try to ground their identity in what they own, what they can do, what they can know, even what they can feel, you know? I just see this time and time again. I said, most people do ground themselves in their knowing centers. Who are you? I have a PhD and I work at a prestigious college. Or who are you? Oh, I'm a, I'm a construction worker. I work hard. I'm not like these white collar people sitting in offices and air conditioning. I am tough, you know, or, you know, I'm an emotionally sensitive person and, and you're not that sensitive. I'm more tolerant and you're a racist and a homophobe and you're xenophobe and you're a sexist and you're not that sensitive. And like, well, this is, we identify ourselves so much with all these things, right? It's not good, right? You know, you may be physically healthy one day, the next day be in a car accident. Mentally, brain can get damaged emotionally. You can fall into depression. There's just like, this is not the way to ground ourselves. It's obvious. But it's obvious to me that most of us do. Who are you? Are you your job? The things you own? The things you can do? The things you can think? The things you can feel? No. That changes so much, even on, on one given day. Who are you is who you are in your being, and that's who you're meant to be. That's how you're meant to ground yourself, in your being centers. Who are you in your being? Who are you in your being centers? Your being centers are more defined, as we see with the soul, through a connection with God. Who you are is who God made you. That's who you are. That doesn't change your identity, your core personhood. It stays the same no matter what you do or don't do. And isn't that great? Like, this is, uh, you know, I don't know how your Christianity works or how you've been taught, but like, I want a connection with God through my being centers that isn't so affected by how much truth I know about God, how much good action my body's doing, or how much good feelings my heart is feeling about God. I want the kind of relationship with God that can sustain me when all these things are, have been cast into darkness. And that's been my experience these last six years. Like, my Christianity turned a corner when I had a breakdown. Like, I was doing pretty good, I thought. I was growing with God. I was having spiritual experiences. I was learning. I'd been to Bible college. I, I thought I knew a lot. I thought I was pretty good with God. And then it turned a corner. I had a breakdown. And all this stuff, my mind, my heart, my body, cast into darkness. These last six years has been excruciating. It's been devastating. It's been, it's torn me apart. It's wrecked me, but only in my knowing centers. Like God knew six years ago I was ready because he knew I was well enough grounded in my being centers to let, for him to take me through negation in my knowing centers. For him to take my mind, heart, and body into darkness and into death in order to bury and resurrect me anew. Because he knew those things weren't so dominant anymore. But man, it's been tough. It's been tough losing my mind, my emotions in darkness and chaos, my body experiencing panic attacks. And where am I grounded? Not in those things. And of course, it's pushed me not to be so grounded. It's pushed me. It's given me more soul space. And so I talked about, this, talked about this already. Our soul needs to grow. Our soul can be so small that it's basically, if you, when you look at the diagram, the mind is at the center. And if the soul circle is smaller than the mind circle, 
Basically, the mind covers it over. The soul needs to grow and expand and expand, and we need to get more soul space. And what the soul helps us begin to do is put space between all of these parts of ourselves. This is what I call soul space. So it's my soul. It's in my soul that I can go when my three knowing centers are struggling, either of the three. It's like I've talked about this already, how, you know, waking up in the middle of a panic attack and I, I can hear the mind chattering and I know it's the mind, right? But I know and I, what am I, and I'm like, no, turn it off, turn it off. Nope, not listening, not listening and turn the mind off. I, I can only do that because of soul space. My soul space is, has grown, has expanded to the point that I have space between all these centers so that I can tell what's coming from where. I know what's fleshly. I know what's spiritual. I know what's of my mind, of my heart. I know what's in my body. It's taken a, a long time to ha- see my soul come forward, to grow and to create space between these parts because it's in my soul. Well, I, like That's where I go when like i'm actually standing out i mean just think about this i'm standing outside of my heart mind and body in a way looking i'm able to look at them this is what actually this is what contemplation is contemplation is the ability to step back from yourself into a different space of yourself in order to look at parts of yourself with some space so when your heart is freaking out depressed angry you step into your soul space and you say, why? Why so downcast? Oh, my heart. <laughs> why does my heart feel this way? Like, if you're too in the heart center and it, it just falls off the cliff of depression, then you're depressed. But if you have the soul space, you can sit back and go, well, my heart is depressed, but not necessarily me. And look, my mind is actually okay. My body's doing okay. Like, it's just one part of me. The soul space gives us that ability to step back. We're stepping back, we're stepping back into the soul. Like, how can you step out of yourself? Well, if you've over, over-identified with one or all of the knowing centers, then that's who you think you are, and then you can't step back from those things because you, you don't know the difference. But that's the purpose of the soul space. It's a place where we have the ability to step back and observe our mind, heart, body. This is contemplation. Contemplation is the ability to sit with the things coming to us, the data centers, the data coming through the data centers, and filter it and sort through it. And of course, in the soul, we do that with God, in conversation with God. And so I I just, I really love it. I love that I can now just encounter any circumstance or situation and my, my dominant knee-jerk is to say, hey, God, man, there's some, something in my heart right now. I do this all the time. I did it like 10 times in church this morning. Something, I was feeling something, and I was like, oh, hey, God, I got a sensation going on one of my data centers. Not quite sure. Oh, no, wait, wait, wait. It's on my shoulders. I think it's in my body. Oh, wait, wait. Actually, no, it's coming from my mind. Okay, yeah, it's coming from my mind. All right, just turn that off. Okay. And through the soul, the spirit, like, in worship, I do this a lot where I'm allowing the Holy Spirit through my spirit, through my soul to flow through. But there's always, because I'm spiritually sensitive, there's always chaos. I'm like sensing other people's hearts, minds, or even physical situations in the middle of worship, in the middle of church. And so like often I'm interceding, but often I'm like, I'm trying to let the spirit breathe power through me. Remember, we have this Surpassing, all surpassing power in these jars of clay. 
I'm trying to let God, the power of God through me from spirit, through the soul, to come through and affect the atmosphere around me. But I have to also recognize there's all this background noise through these knowing centers. There's data coming in. I got to sort through it, filter through it. And sometimes it's helpful. Like, okay, I'm getting some, I'm getting some things in the midst of this and I'm going to pray. Uh, sometimes I actually sense things from my pastor. Uh, probably a month ago, before the pastor came out, I could just sense there was some wrestle in him. And I just interceded for him in that moment that he would come out and be able to preach a sermon. Other people, you know, I just, in the midst of worship, sometimes I'll sense that the worship band just has a lot of anxiety and I'll just intercede for them right there so that they cannot be distracted in the midst of trying to come into a spiritual space, right? Soul space. Not be distracted by the, the data centers. It's so helpful to be able to get some space in all of our parts so that the data centers can not be so dynamic in our personhood and how it functions. We don't want the heart and what it feels to be so strong that it just like overpowers everything else. And if we feel bad in the heart, then we're just like miserable. And then we're feeding negative energy into people around us. And we don't have the space to go, hey, my heart doesn't feel so good right now. But it's just the heart. And I know it's the heart. And like I'm in the process of, of, but through the soul, talking to God about it and figuring it out. And like, maybe I can or can't figure it out. But the one thing I can do is first just seek God's peace for my heart. And then next, maybe God's going to start to speak to me and help resolve what's going on in my heart. And it may not be a simple one moment prayer and it's over. Maybe there's deeper things and God's pointing to deeper things and there's deeper work. There's some hard issues that take years to deal with. But it's like we have the space to kind of step back from all this. That's the soul space. That's what the soul is for. All right. I have other scriptures. Um, I thought that that Thessalonians scripture was good. Interesting. Um, Yeah, well, here's Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 28. This is Jesus. This is all red letters (laughs) for you red letter people. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's the dark night of the soul. Verse 26. For what good will it do a person if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what will a person give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every person according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Hmm. Interesting. What good is it if a person gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? And what would a person give in exchange for his soul? Interesting. Why does Jesus here point specifically to the soul as the central part that, that needs to be focused on? Because it is the central part of the Christian life. It's the central part through which we commune with God. It's the real active part. Like it's through, really through the Spirit. But it's the soul is where we really have the more conscious in exchange with God from the Spirit, informed by the Spirit. So he's like, hey, you want to save your life, you'll lose it. You want to find your life. If you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. 
And then he gets more specific, that was verse 25, about what that means. If you try to chase the world, and again, remember we talked about what the world represents as Satan's system. It's Satan's system of ideas, values, Satan's philosophy about what life should be about. He's like, if you chase after the things that Satan says are important and worthwhile, the kind of life Satan says is good, you'll lose your soul. Remember, Satan draws us into our mind. If you make your life about your will, remember the three enemies are Satan, the world, and the flesh, and the flesh is the worst. The flesh really through the mind works in concert with our will it's what i want that's what satan's like yeah it's about what you want about what i i I forsook god for what i wanted you do the same that's where you'll really find good life yeah but what we lose our soul in that process then the mind becomes dominant then we can't even hear god and the soul is dormant soul shrinks circle smaller 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 till the soul is so small we don't even know it's there and god can't really speak and we can't really interact we forfeit the kind of life jesus calls us into when we have no idea of our soul when we can't connect to god through our soul soul to spirit to spirit make sense so here jesus points directly to the thing that matters most when it comes to being his disciple losing our life to find it it's about our soul isn't that interesting let's go to first peter chapter 2 21 through 25. For you have been called for this purpose, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you would follow in his steps. He, he who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being abusively insulted, he did not insult in return. While suffering, he did not threaten, but kept entrusting him to himself to the one who judges righteously. And he himself brought our sins in his body up on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Hmm. Interesting. It says in verse 24, he brought our sins in his body up on the cross, which is interesting. Remember I talked about a lot of my experiences of sin, dysfunction, you could say. Separation come through my body. Not all. A lot. We got to die to sin, though. So that we can come back and return to the shepherd and guardian of our souls. Seems like the soul is pretty important in the life of the Christian, doesn't it? Hmm. Do you have a soul? Sure you do. It's not the same as your spirit. It's not the same as your flesh. Like, these three being centers, they all work together. You know, in Scripture, it talks about the fleshly mind, or the mindset in the flesh, right? It's still a part of us, though. This fleshly part. It's it's the part that's more akin to the material world. It's, It's really a conceptualization of self. More akin to the physical, our spiritual being centers, a part of us that's more akin to the spiritual realm. Remember, there's two arenas, physical and spiritual. Our two, two of our being centers, spirit and flesh, are part of those arenas. And then the soul is the arbitrator between the two as well. And so it allows, it one, it allows the three data centers to come in with their data 
and to be broadcasted to the, to the flesh and the spirit, right? From the mind, you could say, to the soul. But like, it's, it's like on the diagram, the soul and the mind are both at the center because they're like the bridge. The mind is the bridge between the heart and the body. The soul is the bridge between the spirit and the flesh. But the mind and soul also are a bridge between each other and allow these other four parts to all also register with each other. And so, as I've said before, the goal is that all of these parts would be in play and in their proper functioning, right? So that we're aware of our, of our spirit being center, our fleshly being center, our soul being center, our heart data center, our, our heart knowing center, our mind knowing center, and our body knowing center. But it's the soul in particular, in concert with the mind, but it's the soul in particular that helps all these connect. And it also helps them be separated so they can be connected in the right way, functioning in their proper places, all of them. To lose the soul is to lose our connectedness to our being centers. It's to lose the spirit's ability to connect to the flesh and the flesh and spirit's ability to connect to the heart, mind, and body. Like in essence, without the soul, we get trapped in our data centers. And then we think what we can think, whatever center might be dominant, we can think who we are is how we feel. Or we can think we who we are is how we think. Or we can think who we are is our physical body. Right? We can over-identify with these data centers, these knowing centers, and forget altogether about our being centers. The soul enables us really to know ourselves, to step outside of all these things, to put space between them, but also, as I've already said, to know them in light of God. <sighs> Remember Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart and the mind. Right? Like, I need God to illuminate so much about all these centers. My spirit, my flesh, my soul, my mind, my heart, my body. I need God's help. And the more I delve into this, the more I need God's help. It's God that distinguishes these things. I can't do it without God. The soul is the part that really helps us get back to that reality that God is here, God can be heard, and God can direct us. I mean, now, that's a lot, that's, when I'm in communion with God, that's what I'm doing. I'm talking to God about what's going on in all these things. Why am I feeling this? Why am I feeling that? Like, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's so bizarre to me at times. Like, this journey into my soul, into the more spiritual side, with the Spirit leading the way, my spirit, the Holy Spirit, has been a journey of being emptied. It's, it is what, I talked about this, about kenosis. I can't remember which episode. I think it was in the, the obstacle about the will, about self-emptying, right? This is the dark night of the soul. Like, we have to go through these experiences where we, we're just devastated um, with things beyond what we can control. Like, to get to a place where we know we need help. You know, um, it's so strange, though, to be in a place where I'm, like, so emptied of myself 
I don't really know how to deal with my mind, heart, or body, or soul, or spirit, or flesh without God. That's dependence. Remember the mind, dependent. I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is dependent on me. Mind and soul, really. Like the person who's centered on dependence is at peace. But man, something that surprised me about peace, rest, shalom, it feels like nothing. Right? Like it feels like holding nothing. Because I'm not holding anything. God's holding me and holding everything for me. I remember this experience when God was teaching me about my mind. The mind kind of came first, the heart and mind at the same time. But, but I remember God teaching me about my mind. It was in the first year, my crucible year after my breakdown. I remember we were having uh, the we were going to a downtown church in Knoxville, and we were having we just started going, and the pastor and his wife. We invited them over for dinner. They were coming over. It was like minutes before they were coming. And I was, you know, I think I was off my anxiety medication at the time. But I could feel my mind slipping. I could feel my mind falling into chaos. And I just, like, I'm, I'm, I just really didn't have a lot of ability or understanding what to do except to cry out to God. I felt so desperate in those first few months, especially after my breakdown. My mind and heart were just in chaos, right? So these they're coming over. We've got everything ready. You know, you want to, you know, really impress the pastor, right? You know, you're having dinner and trying to clean the house. And then I could just feel my mind spinning out of control, like just more and more and more. And I went into the bathroom and like I heard them pull up. I went into the bathroom to try to catch myself, to try to calm down. Calm my mind down. I stood with my back towards the vanity, facing the towel bar, just bowing my head. Just like, I'm like, ah, my mind, I, I, this is not the time. Dang it. This is not, like, I can't have my mind going right now. And I, but I, there's nothing I could do. And I'm seeking God. I'm praying. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just said, hey, I am holding your mind. I will hold your mind together. Give it to me. Let me hold it. I will. I've got it. Like I needed to hear in that moment when I was not able to control my mind, when it was spinning and I couldn't do anything to stop it and it was getting more and more out of control. I needed to hear God say to the Spirit, I've got this. You don't have to hold your mind together. You don't, you can't. You can't do it. You're here because you've tried to do it because you're operating in your will through your own mind under the illusion and the delusion that you can control even your own self, even your parts. But you're experiencing the reality that you can't. So, here I am. What do you think it means to lose yourself and find yourself? Man, that night in that bathroom, I lost my mind. But guess what? God picked it up. <laughs> Same happened with my heart. Like, but it took me coming to a point of desperation at the brink of a precipice, ready to fall off into darkness, my mind uncontrollable. You know what it feels like for your mind to be out of control? It feels like you're going crazy. 
Like it took me getting to that place desperate, out of control, to say, God, help me. And for God to say, that's what I've been waiting for. That's why I'm here. Man, when the Holy Spirit spoke that, my thoughts just calmed right down. And I was like, you know what? It wasn't like, it was. remember the two weeks of peace? It wasn't like that. But it cleared the air. My thoughts calmed down. And then I had to spend the next three plus years learning how to continue to surrender my thoughts. It's been a work, but it's been led by the Holy Spirit. It's been a work of letting go of my mind step by step. And guess what? Still, it's still happening. Remember, this the season of body, learning the body center. It's actually been the hardest to let my mind go of its attachment to the body. And so I had reached a great point of peace through my mind and my heart. But when God started working on the body center and revealing that chaos and that unsurrendered area, it was like all over again I had to learn how to turn the mind off in that area. And I still am. But it's still strange, like, being at peace, my mind at peace, my heart at peace, what? It's not moving. It's not doing anything. Like, there's nothing for me to measure. There's no metrics for me, right? I can't, you know, I don't know the scriptures, Corinthians, I think, where Paul says, I, I don't care about the judgments of man. I don't even judge myself. But I let God judge. God's the one that judges. Christ will judge. He'll bring everything that's hidden into the light. Judge nothing before the appointed time. But like Christ, like, I can't judge what I cannot see. Remember? It's not what is seen, but what is unseen. That's where we live. It's darkness. It's, it's a kind of darkness that brings us to the light of God, but it takes everything out of our hands. You know what it feels like for your mind, your emotions, even your body, to just be in a place where they're really not in play. They're quiet. That's peace. But guess what? It feels weird. <laughs> guess what? That's what it feels like to be more in the realm of the soul. Communing with God at rest. I don't have to be feeling something to know I feel okay. I don't have to be thinking something to know that I am okay or, or I don't have to be, don't have to have a good feeling in my body, my mind and my heart to know that I'm okay. I don't have to be holding something. I don't have to be discerning or understanding or touching or grasping at something because it's in God's hands, my mind, my heart, my body. But that's the soul. That's soul space. That's peace. That's when we've come to a place of deep inner stillness and quiet. When the mind, the heart, and the body are quiet, that's when you begin to recognize your soul and God in it through your spirit, his spirit through your spirit. But it doesn't feel like, it can sometimes feel like nothing. Let me tell you, after the breakdown I've been through in these six years and some of the chaos I've felt, the oppression, other people's dysfunction and evil spirits, all of, after all that, feeling nothing feels pretty darn good. <laughs> it feels really good. Peace feels pretty good. But sometimes it feels like nothing. It feels like I'm holding nothing. And sometimes, actually, the enemy whispers to me, you don't have anything. What are you going to do? And I'm like... Don't threaten me with truth. <laughs> of course I don't have anything. I've already given it over to God and God has everything for me and God has me. And he's holding me and he always will because neither height nor depth nor angels nor demons nor anything in all creation can separate me from the love of God. 
So get out of here with your, you don't, you don't have, you can't do anything. Yeah. It was doing something that got me in trouble. Holding something that led me into chaos and a breakdown. It's in surrender. It's in silence. That the soul comes forward. Time and time again, as I've experienced deeper levels of peace in, in my three knowing centers through the soul, it's felt weird. I've actually kind of resisted it. Like, it's, it's felt uncomfortable to be quiet. Sometimes we seek euphoria. Even in our Christianity, even in our worship, even in our God experiences, we seek euphoria. I think this is where the charismatic church really goes awry. I think it's great that they seek Holy Spirit experiences, but often they're speaking, they're, they're seeking the pizzazz and the fireworks and the euphoria of the Spirit. And guess what? The Spirit, it's quiet. Spirit, spirit calls us into quiet. And like, it's hard sometimes to adjust to quiet. It is a kind of darkness. It's the darkness of our own senses and our own ability and what we can hold, but it brings us to light in the realm of God. That's all the soul. That's us entering more into the soul. <laughs> Make sense? <laughs> I hope it does somewhat. It's hard. It has to be experienced, right? I can talk about it all day long. You can listen. I appreciate you listening. But man, it's something you got to start to experience. Like God, only God can lead you from your knowing centers into your being centers. And it starts, I think it starts with the soul. The soul coming forward as the other three begin to shrink into quiet, into peace. And the soul becomes more dominant. It comes forward and we begin to sense it more. And, and the soul primarily is that place where we commune with God, our spirit to his spirit. But it's the soul that registers, right? And I just so much enjoy communing with God, talking with God. It's different. Like the energy of the soul is different than the mind. The mind is obsessive and restless often. And it, like it's hard to turn it off, right? The spirit, the soul, I mean, is like it's calm. It's quiet. It's not impetuous. It's not fearful. It's not worried. It's just, hey, just chilling with God. That's the soul space. That's where real peace starts to come in. Mm. Sounds good, doesn't it? It is. Soul's so important. It does help bridge all these things, all these parts. But it's, it, it's centered in communion with God and it's centered in stillness and peace. It's quiet. It's calm. It's good. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, I think that's a pretty good introduction to soul. And we'll, as we talk more about the f- spirit and the flesh being centers, we'll, we'll incorporate the soul some more. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Love you. <laughs> Woo. Hey, you have a soul. It's not the same thing as your mind. It's a part of your being centers. Where are you grounded in your being, in your personhood, in your identity? It's a good question. That's a place to start when it comes to soul. Like, it probably sounds a little weird, right? I I think we've really lost this concept of soul. We've lost the practicality of living out of our soul. True communion with God. probably sounds strange sometimes, maybe, as I talk about how God speaks to me and shows up and I feel God's presence. That's from the soul. And there's a reason why I think modern Christianity is out of touch with that, especially Protestantism. Maybe some of Catholicism and the other Orthodox traditions too. But like Catholicism and the other Orthodox traditions have a little bit better concept of, of soul space, I think. But I think modern Western Christianity has really lost a lot of that. Right? Sounds weird, doesn't it? 
Like, what is your soul? It's not something you can see. It's something you, you can experience and you're experiencing in communion with God. <sighs> you have a soul. But you got to get in touch. you gotta, you got to start to let God lead you into darkness in the three data centers where you're surrendering and stepping back from these things. That's contemplation. And starting to get some space to detangle these things. To not be always so, so reactionary and numb and, you know, uh, reacting without thinking from these data centers and to the data that comes through them. And be, to be able to step back and just contemplate what's going on in them and take it to God, talk to God about it. As you begin to do that through prayer, the soul will begin to come forward. And you'll begin to understand through experience how the soul works. Hey guys, this has been the Construction Monk Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ulrey. As I said, you can catch that diagram at www.moderncontemplative.com. Just go to the blogs. I'll have it up in a couple days. Well, by the time you hear this, I'll have it up. <laughs> All right, love you guys. Bye. Be well. Be at peace. Go find your soul. Bye.